This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Tickets for Glenn Beck's We Will Not Conform event on July 22nd are now on sale. Visit WeWillNotConform.com to find a movie theater near you and join us for a night to make Common Core history. Will Kane, S.E. Cup, R. Kane and Cup. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to Kane and Cup. Good Saturday morning to you. I'm Will Kane. I'm S.E. Cup. We've got a big. A fun show for you today. We've got topics ranging from um, trends in baby names, apropos of nothing, I'm sure. Oh, what? why? Yeah, apropos of absolutely huh. nothing. Uh, hundred years of trends in baby names. What's next? So you can be on the front end of that curve. Oh, be on the fringe. That's right. Yeah, cutting edge. Is Matt Lauer sexist? Is Hillary rich? Um, and here's the question I want to ask, and I'm going to say, see, I'm already getting into it on Twitter. Apparently, I've attracted... Um, the debate from people with Twitter handles like Indigenous Ideas and Burgundy and Gold Forever. It's on a debate which I'm not having right now, but it's on the Redskins uh, name. But this is what's interesting. Somebody tweeted this to me, Essie. They said, uh, um, we should protect children from things that lower their self-esteem. Referencing, of course, in this case, Indigenous children and their exposure to names like Redskins. I don't want to rehab the Redskin debate, but what the question I want to ask the audience in you today, is can we protect people from ugliness? Can you protect people from, essentially, the world? From offense. From offense and also from themselves. That's the first thing we're going to talk about a little. That's, we're going to talk about just a minute. I actually want to get the audience in, 888-900-3393. Can we and should we protect people from ugliness? But hmm. let's start out. With, what, about, what, about, what about forced vasectomies? Can we protect the world from forced vasectomies? I think we should probably, that might be a good idea. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's, that's later in the show. <laughs> that's separate and later in the show. Let's start with some, some news of the week, though. And on the political end, uh, there were actually a lot of big stories this week. But, but one of them was when Speaker of the House John Boehner announced he was going to sue the president. And... Then the debate began, can he do that? Does he have standing? Is this a good idea? President Obama has already called this a stunt. He has, as he has wanted to do, dismissed it. He's dismissed it. These, these rubes that I'm forced to work with think they can sue me? Um, he doesn't seem worried. But I think we should talk about it because it is a very interesting uh, moment, and I bet our listeners have interesting opinions on this. Um, 888-900-3393, because there's two issues here. Should Boehner sue on principle, and should Boehner sue because it's a political, it's politically a good idea? Two separate questions. And I, I want, I know what I think, I think I know what you think, and we're going to talk about it, but I, I would love to know what um, what our listeners think. Should Boehner sue President Obama? Yes, but again, on two, I'm asking two separate questions. Mm. Should he because it's the right thing to do? And should he because it's politically smart? Two separate questions. Let's go through them right now. Okay. On, on the first question, is it the right thing to do? I'm, I'm less confused on this than I am the other because I think it's clear after six years of executive overreach and refusing to execute the laws of our land 
and essentially telling Congress they are irrelevant. Go home. Stay home. Just go home. I got this. I got this. I think it's pretty clear. Yes, this is the right thing to do. Um, Bringing in the judicial branch, you know, the Supreme Court has ruled against presidential overreach unanimously 13 times on this president. Everything from, no, you cannot attach a GPS to my car without a warrant to this week. Um, no, you cannot, Mr. President, decide when Senate is in session and then make recess appointments. No, you do not have that power. 13 times unanimously, dozens others divided, but 13 times unanimously ruled against this president's overreach. I was talking to um, Newt Gingrich this week, former Speaker of the House, about this. Humble brag. Humble brag. No, not a humble brag. I work with him, and he's a former Speaker. Oh, I didn't say... I I didn't know you could hear me. (laughs) You said it into the microphone. Um, We share an office, so... The upshot of that is I get to pick Newt's fascinating brain. Um, the downside, I won't tell you about. But <laughs> <laughs> the upside is I asked I'll Newt, fill in those blanks. Trust me, I'm already... Okay. I asked Newt Gingrich... What is the problem? ...about this, because he was a former speaker, as you know. And he said, look, there are three con- constitutional mechanisms by which Congress can control a president who is acting illegally. Three. One, you can sue him. Two, you can impeach him. Three, you can cut off the money. Okay. And he said that suing a president is the least disruptive to the economy and to to society. The least disruptive. All right. With all due respect to the big brain on Brad, um, the former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, he's wrong. Now... He's not wrong. Let's. Uh, he is. I'm going to tell you why. The first of all, on the on the issue of should, and you talked about the president's uh, continuous um, abuse of executive power. The left would point out that he has passed fewer executive orders. He has used it less than most past presidents, including Republicans like George W. Bush. You and I know, and the listeners know, it's a question of. Uh, not quality, quantity. Not quantity. It's right. quality. What it's, kind of executive order? It's amending the Obamacare congressionally passed law thirty something times through departments. Changes. Yeah. Through the departments like HHS. Yes. It's essentially writing policy from the executive office, from the White House. Yes, and refusing to enforce laws that Congress has passed. Right. There is undoubtedly like, a what's need. What's the point? What's the point of showing up? There's undoubtedly a, law, not a need to limit executive power. And by the way, that is a need that extends beyond Obama. Because in my estimation, it's also something that could have been used against President Bush. Yeah. Um, we have executives that often uh, just sidestep Congress. I will do what I want regardless of what laws you pass. But the, on the issue of should, it's impossible to escape the, the question of can. Now, this gets me to the speaker, to Newt Gingrich. Um, the question of presidential authority is ultimately a political question, which will lead us to your second question. Yeah. But it's this. Does the public want to limit the executive's power? Do they want to rein in the president? And here is why. The judicial branch ultimately does not have the power to reign in the president. Mm-hmm. They have no police force. The Supreme Court has no police force. Yeah. It has no army. To enforce. The truly, truth is yeah. Congress really doesn't have standing to sue the president on whether or not he's overreached executive power. Mm-hmm. As a legal matter, mm-hmm. it is a lawsuit that would practically go nowhere. It could accomplish. And take forever. And take forever. Yeah. I fully recognize the need to reign in executive power. Yeah. Suing the president. Bottom line, 
will not do that. And I will say it to Newt Gingrich's face. The way to do it is twofold. Impeachment, which I think is a bad political idea, or two, this is just simply the political accountability. You must vote for people who will not do this. Right. Okay. I, I see. I see where you're going. I think on your question of whether the voting public wants this, the voting public absolutely does not want impeachment. No. The voting public What's... agrees with the Supreme Court on most of these rulings. The voting public agrees that the president does not have the constitutional authority to mount a GPS in your car, for example, without a warrant, without telling you about it. And, I mean, that might seem like a minor, I don't know, to me that seems pretty major, but that might seem like a minor offense compared to, say, not enforcing existing immigration law. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And the, the public, the public, as we know from polling, is not with the president on that. I'm just telling you, I think that uh, rejections of some policies, rejections of some congressionally passed laws by the Supreme Court is not the same thing as having the Supreme Court or the judicial branch step in and limit presidential powers carte blanche. Do you see what I'm saying? The public, as you said, is not there to impeach President Obama. Right. And the judicial power is not there yeah. to draw lines around President Obama or any president for that matter and say, you can and cannot step outside of these lines. Well, they, they take just them, did. They take them on ad hoc basis. They take right. them on a la carte cases. Right. That's true. That, no, that's true. And that's how we have to do this. A la carte cases. And there have been a bunch. Uh, the DOJ has tried to justify a number of the things that the president wants to do. And they've failed a number of times. They've succeeded a number of times. But I think if you went down a list of the things that the president has tried to do on his own with pen and phone, as he would say, you would find the American public doesn't think all of those things, the majority of those things, are good ideas. Well, then that leads us to your second question. Is this a good political idea so, for, for Boehner? Right, right. So, so on the first part, I think whether or not Congress has standing, I think, is a, is a third question. But I think it's clear that the president's record of abuse here – look, Reagan and Bush weren't bragging. I'm going to use my pen and my phone. I'm doing this anyway. I, I think on foreign policy, the president said, I'm going it alone, and that was a singular case. I'd also like to mention he had the votes of Democrats and a united Congress to go into Iraq. But I think when it came to President Reagan's executive orders, no one said, I'm going to sue the president. These weren't things that the country found roundly offensive. Um. This is something now even libertarians and liberals on the far left are finding offensive that the president has such disregard for our civil liberties. The president has earned some measure of accountability. He has earned some check. The question is whether or not this lawsuit is right. the appropriate measure. Well, I, I, here's what I will give you. This will not check President Obama's authority, this lawsuit. Exactly. If it goes anywhere, if it is successful— it will only impact the 2016, maybe even 2020 president. So I think you're right that this won't have a direct causal effect on Obama. But what kind of effect will this have on Republicans and Democrats? Let's talk about that more when we come back on Kane and Cup. Stay with us. This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network.
part of the next generation of talk radio. Kane and Cup is on. Welcome back to Kane and Cup. I just love you for spending your morning with us. Oh, how sweet. I wasn't talking to you. Oh. I was talking to our listeners. That seems set up. That wasn't set up. Yeah, I wasn't talking to you, weirdo. Um, you have to spend your morning with me. There's no choice in it. <laughs> the people who are listening to us now have chosen to spend their morning with us. That's very nice. Hey, check out Jonas Miller on Twitter. He says, the politics of suing President Obama are bad, but sometimes you stand up for the right, t- right thing and ignore the optics. My uh-huh. argument to you is... It is the wrong thing, meaning it logistically cannot accomplish its stated right. goal. And ultimately, this is the question now for us, yeah. is it the right political decision? I don't know that it has one impact one way or the other. Suing President Obama, does it impact 2016? Does it impact the politics of America, force voters one way or another? I'm, I'm unconvinced. Well, let me break it down a little and, again, hopefully get our, our, um, our listeners to call in 888-900-3393. To uh, to weigh in on this because the politics are interesting. Look, um, I think I laid out a case for why Boehner had cause to sue the president. And I understand why he's doing it from a principled standpoint. I also understand why he's doing it from a political standpoint. Just take this current primary season. It has been unkind to Tea Party candidates so far. If you look at Chris McDaniel in Mississippi, Matt Bevin in Kentucky, T.W. Shannon in Oklahoma, Tom Tancredo in Colorado. These candidates ran and lost to more establishment candidates. And I think Speaker Boehner, while he's probably pleased with that, acknowledges that the anger and frustration that propelled those Tea Party campaigns has not dissipated magically now that they've lost. That anger has not gone away. And I think he's very cognizant of the fact that these voters will either stay home in 2014 or uh, shift over to some other third party. They're not going to become Democrats, but some kind of third party, you know, Ron Paul kind of kind of candidacy that will be bad for the GOP. So I think this is Speaker Boehner saying, "Okay, what can I give? What can I do to acknowledge the frustrations of this group of people. And you think this, the president. And you think this is a good idea? No. I don't. I'm acknowledging the political calculus on Speaker Boehner's side. What I think is it's a gift to Democrats. Um if you look over on the other side, all the mojo right now is with Republicans. Democrats are reeling from scandals domestically, foreign policy disasters, disasters, an economic agenda that is not exciting anyone. It's not exciting the Democratic base. It's not exciting Democrats in red states. It's just not working. It's not resonating. Democrats are floundering. They are on life support. They don't have a government shutdown to fundraise against. They've got nothing. They've got a big, fat goose egg. And you're saying this gives them something. And now they have something. And if you get, I'm on all of these Democratic email lists, you know, like the DCCC. If you get those emails, they are thrilled. Because now they get to send out fundraising emails where they say, this do-nothing Republican House has nothing better to do but sue the president. They get nothing done in Congress. And now the only thing that they get organized around is suing the president? Yeah. This is a huge gift for Democrats. I actually— Going into 2014. I actually agree with you that it's it's uh, it's bad 
It's bad politics. And here's my estimation of why. We're winning. If you can't accomplish your stated goal, so this is a little bit backing up to your first question, then why are you doing it, right? If you can't actually limit President Obama's power through yeah. the mechanism of this lawsuit, then why are you doing it? Well, well, and then maybe it is a stunt, as President Obama said. Yeah, so you're doing it to to hold a megaphone up, to to say to, to spread a message. The message is you have a lawless president, a president who ignores the powers of his office, the constitutional limitations of his office. He ignores these things. Here's the problem with that argument, okay? Here's the problem with that megaphone. It's designed to impact the next election. We know it's not going to impact President Obama. No. It's not going to get him out of office. It's not going to stop him. So it's designed to impact the next presidential election. In the argument against the lawsuit is not dissimilar than the argument against impeachment. The reason you don't impeach President Obama is because if you impeach the first black president of the United States of America, you will pay for that. In the next presidential election. Hey, well, look, you're introducing whether a whole or not, other aspect well, of yeah, right, but, And people will say that's, you know, that's beside the point. You're right. It's not a question of right or wrong. It's how we're, we're now debating the political question. Yeah. We're now debating whether or not your megaphone is going to propel the message you want the public to hear. And I'm telling you, it won't. Well, they won't hear it. They won't hear. The, the, the voting public, the swing people out there that we need to win elections, honestly, don't want to hear about constitutional limitations on power. They're just not into it, man. Well, back when back when um, folks like Ted Cruz wanted to shut down the government in order to repeal Obamacare, I was very defensive of the principle behind wanting to repeal Obamacare. I supported these guys because they ran on doing just that. They made promises to voters. If you vote for me, I will do everything I can to repeal Obamacare. Everything. And that is exactly what Ted Cruz did. Were there political ramifications? Yes. Was it a political loser? Yes. But that doesn't mean he wasn't right to pursue or make good on the promise he made to voters. And I believe that Speaker Boehner and other Republicans have made promises to do everything they can to check the authorities of this lawless president. I believe he is a lawless president, and I believe that this is, as Newt Gingrich said, the least disruptive thing they can do. That said, I think it's a political loser. Ultimately, we must understand this. The check, the accountability on President Obama is politics. And the hard thing for us all to— Election politics. That's right. And the hard thing for all of us to stomach is what that ultimately means is Hillary Clinton. Ultimately, it's the Democratic candidate in 2016 or the Democratic candidates for Senate and House in 2014. That is your check. That is your accountability. President Obama Obama is not going to be impeached out of office. President Obama is not going to stop doing the things he is doing because of a lawsuit. Your only check, your own only accountability is to have the right guy next time. And then if that's the case, if you understand that, you have to ask yourself, does this help or hurt? Get a Republican elected. Right. No, I, I agree with you. Does it help or hurt? And I'm supremely uh, you know, concerned with that one question. However, if you follow this down the rabbit hole, the president says, I'm going to do this because, uh, you know, pen and paper because no one's doing anything. That's his check. Our check is the electorate. Well, they have to vote him out. Right. They voted him back in. So now it, the ball's back in our court. Right. And our check is, well, we're going to sue him. Look, I don't know if it's going to work or not. Um... I think you're probably right. It will take too long. But I think Boehner's right to pursue it. People are frustrated. 
Can you protect people from ugliness? Next on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Kane and Cup returns now. Tell me your sins, my son. Uh, well, I, I should mention that I'm Jewish. Well, that's no sin. Oh, good. <laughs> anyway, I, I wanted to talk to you about Doctor Watley. I, I have a suspicion that he's converted to Judaism purely for the jokes. <laughs> and this offends you as a Jewish person? No, it offends me as a comedian. And it'll interest you to know that he's also telling Catholic jokes. Well... I, I mean, and they're old jokes. I mean, the Pope and Raquel Welch in a lifeboat. I haven't heard that one. Oh. Is <laughs> your weekly Seinfeld. I mean, I've got to put it in. We're about to talk about things that are offensive, but first... Got a couple go calls. calls. Yeah, yeah, got a couple calls on President Obama. Suing President Obama, whether or not you can limit his power... Through a suit like the one John Boehner has proposed. Let's start with a couple of marks. Mark in Maryland. You're on Canyon Cup. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Uh, you know, I'm from a long line of uh, Democrats. Uh, I'm now, they, they classify me as the uh, family leper because I switched over to the Republican Party. <laughs> and uh, I'm still uh, what you classify as a liberal uh, Republican. Okay. Not a progressive, but a liberal and uh, there's a little th- old saying they used to have, uh, uh, the Democrats used to have it, you don't go and poop where you eat. Uh-huh. And basically that's what Boehner's going to be doing. How so? Uh, he's just going to be slinging, uh, you know, the monkey do from one cage to the next cage, and it's just going to make a big mess, and it's going to go against them in this next election. I think we yeah. see what you're saying, Mark. Appreciate the call. Basically, that's what we said. It'll be internalized, right or wrong. Right, right or wrong, it'll be internalized by the swing voting public as food fight. Yeah, it is yes. right. He is right, yeah. but I don't think this is going to work out well for Republicans. Uh, how about Mark in Georgia? And it's such a shame because we are winning. Right. Hey, Mark. Yeah, Mark in Georgia. What's up? Hey, how you doing? Listen, fellas, we're missing the the, the key here. The key is Eric Holder. Mm-hmm. You can do all the lawsuits, all the you know screaming for impeachment and this and that. But going back to Richard Nixon, you had George Mitchell, who was just as arrogant and just as a a criminal, showed so much criminality. Um, So you have to get, you have to get the the person who's the key to all the lawlessness and the criminality, which is Eric Holder. Until you remove him or impeach him or arrest him, Nothing's going to happen. Wait, 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 hold on, Mark. Mark, but don't you think you, – you, you used the phrase getting to the core, getting to the core of the problem. Eric Holder was appointed by President Obama. Let's just say you get rid of Eric Holder. You think President Obama is going to appoint somebody more Better? to your liking? Yeah. They, 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 President Obama's not going to appoint anybody but, but someone that's going to serve him. Okay, but Right, still, so you've got to cut the head you, off the snake. Point, once you get the – once you – to cut the head off of the snake. I'm telling you, that's the key is getting Eric Holder. Just like back in when they got Mitchell, 
uh, Nixon fell. Once you get Eric Holder, the house of lies, the house of lawlessness will collapse. All right, I'm Mark. You. All right, Mark. Thanks for the call. I, I, I don't think you've identified the right head of the snake. I think the head of the snake is President Obama. I think so, too. Not Holder. Yeah. Um, let me switch gears here. So um, interesting, interesting story, I think, out of San Francisco where um, – the city has voted to place suicide barriers on the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. These are nets. You know, since the Golden Gate Bridge was uh, was opened in 1937, there have been 1,600 people who have leapt to their death. Mm. Um, they've been debating apparently this concept of suicide barriers for decades. Just this, just last year, 48 people jumped off um, the Golden Gate Bridge, committed suicide. This is going to cost uh, the state of California something like seven million dollars. I think they're going to get another $76 million of federal funds to create to these suicide barriers. Come on. These nets on the Golden Gate Bridge. $76 million? That's right. What? And the, the reason I bring this up is, is this, and I, and I mentioned it a moment ago, and I, and I asked people on Twitter. It's this concept of being able to protect everyone from, I'm going to start out abstractly and generically, ugliness. To me, it's not. Um, too far removed from the conversation you and I had last week about everyone's offended all the time, protecting people from bigotry or offense mm-hmm. or offensive language or their own dark thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's like we're trying to create a world with um, bumpers on every corner. Yeah, to smooth out life's hard edges. Yeah, and it's delusional. You cannot create a world where your children or your neighbors are protected from the ugliness that is endemic in the world. Now, I don't, I'm actually somebody who thinks the world is a pretty good place. Mm-hmm. I'm a pretty big optimist on, on the world. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't, um, I'm not delusional to the fact that there is ugliness. Sure. And I raise my children with a sense that you're going to have to learn how to cope with it. Right. You're going to have to learn how to deal with it. Right. We can't protect you from it. Well, no, this is asinine on so many levels. So many levels. Um, one, there are other bridges. <laughs> the Golden Gate Bridge is not the only bridge. It's not the only tall bridge in the San Francisco area. Um, there's the Bay Bridge. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm not making light of this, but come on. There are other ways to harm yourself if you have that intention. Well, that's the whole point, right. Someone who has made that decision for themselves, you and I talked about this yesterday, mm-hmm. you've just humiliated them by placing a net at the bottom of the Golden Gate Bridge. That's right. Like, Somebody has to like, fish them out of hey this buddy, net. Hey, buddy, here's yet another thing you failed at. Sorry. Sorry. But we paid $76 million so you'd fail. So feel good about that. Imagine that moment when you're just hanging in this net, waiting for the crane. Right. God. Oh, well, that, there goes that. There goes that. No. I mean, you know, we can joke about it because it is so absurd to think that this is actually going to solve any kind of problem other than what you're saying. It makes us feel good. Yes. That we might be protecting you from being hurt, sad, angry, offended. And what we said last week was this impulse to do something. Something must be done. Someone somewhere is offended. Something must be done. Someone somewhere is hurting. Something must be done. Is both logistically impossible, just impossible to solve for. And it is not providing people with the right coping skills to get through life exactly. that is difficult, that will be hard at times. You will fail. You will have dark thoughts. You will have bad days. You will hear ugly things. You cannot protect people 
It's so funny because I'm, you know, I'm baby proofing my house now. So I'm expecting. And I've got some people coming in who are like, you've got to get rid of all your furniture. All of it. It's grown up furniture. It's pre baby furniture. You weren't thinking about this when you bought it. It has hard edges. And I literally said to one of them, you know what? Life has hard edges. <laughs> Life has, I'm not putting bumpers on everything I own to uh-huh. provide a bubble for a, a child who is going to grow up in a world that is not a bubble. Okay, well, first of all, that's BS. You're going to have bumpers on the edge of that coffee table. There's a difference between a two-year-old who's learned how to walk. Look, I'm not going <laughs> to run nails around the apartment. I mean, I'm not going to lay out like a bed of coals to just to, to desensitize my child from a tough world. However, this You're going to is... bumper that coffee table. I'm just telling you. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I might be convinced. It does have very hard edges. <laughs> but, but honestly, life doesn't have bumpers. So the point you're making is actually a similar one to one Gary Oldman made. I adore him. Actor Gary Goldman. Gary Oldman. 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 He's my all-time favorite actor. Did you know that? I didn't know that. My all-time favorite movie is The Professional because it's the greatest movie that was ever made. And he is the star of it. Also, Immortal Beloved, Dracula, Sid and Nancy. I Do you mean, know what would happen if you walked up to him and told him you love these movies? Uh, Maze balls. Do you know what would happen if you walked up to him and told him these things? What? Well, this apparently, because this is what he told Playboy. What do you call me, the C word? I've learned over the years that people get upset when they tell you they love something, is that, and something is their favorite movie, and you go, really? You like that piece of S? No. <laughs> he said he doesn't like any of the movies he's been in, rarely, like one. Well, it has to be The Professional, because it's the greatest movie that no, he's ever made. No, he said it's the one. By the way, he says The Professional is the one people come up to him the most about. He was so good in that movie. But he had more things to say on society. Wait, what's the movie that he thinks is the only good one he made? I don't remember. Did you just see me make that transition away from that part of the conversation? Oh, because you didn't. You, you can't complete that thought? Okay. <laughs> on political correctness, I just think political correctness is crap. I think it's like, take a effing joke. He went on, on the Pope. Agreed. Oh, F the Pope, Gary oh. Holman said. Well, that's offensive. Well, see, that's the point. He said some offensive things. Yes. He's tired of political correctness. He outed himself as basically a libertarian. He said Hollywood is hugely hypocritical, and yes. oops, he defended Mel Gibson. He oh. said Mel Gibson got drunk and said a few things, but we've all said those things. No, f- false. We're I've all... never called someone sugar T-I-T-S. Mel Gibson is in a town run by Jews, and he said the wrong thing because he's actually bitten the hand that fed him. That's Gary Oldman, by the way. Don't ever pull that drop. Oh, that's that's Gary Oldman. That's offensive. And so what? He said some things. He let he let his opinion out. And so what did Gary Oldman do? He apologized. Apology to her. This is Gary Oldman on Jimmy Kimmel. It was a, an article I did with Playboy. And I said some things that were poorly considered. Yes. And once I had seen it in print, I could see that it was um, offensive, insensitive, uh, pernicious, uh, and ill-informed. And uh, I wish he'd take a drink of water. Well, I know, right? You know, I can words hear have his meaning. lips. They smacking. carry weight, and they carry on long after you've said them. And uh, and I don't uh, I don't condone or excuse the words I used in uh, well in any context. Ugh. I just. I just basically shouldn't have used them. Oh, All right, Jose. Okay, that's enough. It goes on and on. By the way, it's a six-minute apology. Everyone seems to have taken a lesson from and Jonah Hill. And, and he's British, so it sounds really believable. It's really slow. Yeah, deliberate. You know, Jonah Hill went on his apology tour yeah. um, not so long ago. For using the 
the F word yeah. to describe the F word that describes a, a gay person. Yeah, British cigarette. Um, yeah, British cigarette. Right. And uh, and apparently he set the standard for apologies. Everybody's like, well, there, that, that that's yeah, you got to mean it. it. You got to mean it. That's how you do it. And you so know Gary what? Oldman is on his tour. I was offended by some of the things that Gary Oldman said in that Playboy interview. But you know what? The world kept turning. <laughs> I was offended and nothing happened. I survived. I got up the next day. I washed my hair. I took a shower. I went to work. I, I had a productive day. The whole while being offended by the things that Gary Oldman had said. You and I nothing la- happened. You and I laughed about this yesterday. You, on one hand... <laughs> Are offended by everything. Everything. I'm offended 24 hours a day. I'm offended by the person driving next to me. I'm offended by the person in front of me at Starbucks. I'm offended by the person who works in my office. I'm offended by everything. I, on the other hand, am offended by nothing. Nothing. You could call me anything. You don't care about anything. I don't care what you say to me. <laughs> AJ, AJ in New Jersey. Uh, how are you doing this morning? Good. Thanks for holding on the phone. First of all, the simplest thing for her to do is get rid of coffee tables. <laughs> yeah, I might have to. AJ, I might will. have Trust to. Me, you have three kids. You'll get rid of it. I Was I right, AJ? You the, This tough love thing? Yeah, right. We'll see what happens. No, you're year. right, because it is. It's like a big thing a, in the middle of the room. I might have to just get rid of it. I have a 17-year-old that could probably live on his own right now if diapers wouldn't come after me. You know why? Because when he was three years old, I threw him in the pool and he learned how to swim. <laughs> all right. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> this all ties in together. The biggest thing that I love about Boehner suing the White House is it proves that Tea Party is a real movement now. He doesn't know which way the wind is blowing, and he's holding his finger into the air. Because guess what? Progressives have a monopoly on bullyism. That's why we have a society where you're not allowed to have a gun. Call 911. You're not allowed to stand up for yourself. I, I live in New Jersey. Oh, my God. I have an 11-year-old daughter. I constantly get letters home from the school about bullying policies because my daughter stands up for herself. They do not yeah. want you to stand up for yourself. No, I know, because we're going to put nets out instead. We're just going to put nets out, AJ, and that's going to solve the problem. Look, thanks for calling in. We appreciate it. That's the whole point. You can't create a world where you protect your children or from each every, other. From, from being everything. offended. And from if you offended. are successful in doing that, you have created delusional, insane people. The all world I will have, be exactly the way I want it to be. All I have to say before we go to break is Gary Oldman is the greatest living actor. Oh. Wow. Greatest living actor. I challenge anyone, I challenge anyone to find someone else better than Gary Oldman as a living actor. All right, when we come back, Essie, I think, has a pronunciation quiz for oh, me. Oh, this is going to be so good. <laughs> when we come back on Kane and Cup. This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Cup return. Will Kane is the king of not being able to pronounce stuff. You would admit as much. What? 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 A firmer? A firmal? I don't know. A firmal? I don't know why you would say that. Why? Um, I came across an amazing article. It's from the Atlantic. It's um, how Americans pronounce common tech terms. I was shocked by some of the results of this. Shocked. And so I'm going to give you a test All to right. see if you fit within the majority of people who pronounce it right or the minority of people who pronounce the words wrong. Ephemeral. 
Uh, that you. was that was that was a throwback clip. Thank you, Jose. A pheromal, a pheromal. I even heard my accent in that one. Wow. Um. Okay. How do you pronounce G-I-F? Uh, GIF. You are with the majority, but they pronounce it wrong. It's GIF. Yeah, I died. I, that's not true. I've well, it is true, before. but that's okay. That's okay. You're at least you're in a majority. You're in a majority in that one. Uh, how do you pronounce D A T A? By the way, GIF spelled G I F, because all the other G words obviously sound like J words. Griffin, go. Is it, we're done. Give me another one. Give me another one. Go. How do you spell D A T A? Data. You are with the majority, but forty-two percent say data. Well, there's more, but we gotta go. You're listening to Kane and Cobb. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Will Kane, S.E. Cup R. Kane and Cup Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Kane and Cup. I'm Will Kane. I'm Essie Cup. We spent the first hour talking about whether or not it's a waste of time or a useful exercise for John Boehner to sue President Obama. We also talked about whether or not we're attempting to create a world with bumpers on every sharp corner to protect each other from anything that could offend or hurt us. We got a lot of calls on both topics. Um, let's go to Mike in New York who has something to say on whether or not um, – President Obama should be should be sued. Mike in New York, please call uh, number on line four. Hey guys, thanks for taking the call. Sure. So, uh, I think you're right halfway on on your point of view about the uh, the fact that the lawsuit hurts the elections or hurts the chance of the election. But I guess you got to ask yourself the question: Which election is Boehner trying to influence? Yeah. If there's one thing that I think we should have learned from the Thad Cochran McDaniel. Uh, primary mm-hmm. look the republicans didn't you know uh side with the gop to get those votes i'm sorry the the gop didn't side with the democrats to get those votes we needed the democrats to tell their constituents to go out there and vote i think that boehner is out there he's going to do this lawsuit because he knows he's going to garner favor with the democrats and he's going to protect himself in his next in his next he's going to garner favor with democrats yeah, because like you said, we're winning right now. Yeah. The only thing that this does is this helps the Democrats. It gives them a, a you know a cause. Oh, to yeah. Okay. So, so, so you're you're agreeing with me that this is a gift to Democrats. That it's a bad exactly. political idea. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, and and the Cochran example. I mean, what Cochran did in Mississippi to 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 beat McDaniel is different than what has happened in the majority of these races, but it is instructive, and I think. Boehner's realizing, look, a a lot of these elections have not gone the way that a decent sized part of my constituency wanted them to. And so I've got to give them some kind of rhetorical acknowledgement that they matter and that they count and that we haven't forgotten about them. But Democrats are going to campaign on this now and probably effectively. Yeah, I don't think, Mike, it's any type of conspiracy to actually for him to curry favor with Democrats. I think he's just I think he's just pandering. I yeah, think, I, think I, I think so, too. I think he's pandering to conservatives. See, I, I'm opposed to President Obama, too. See, see, see. 
Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I, yeah. I, right. I, I think there is principle behind it, but I also think politically, it's a shout out to the the frustrated voters who who wanted McDaniel and Bevin and Shannon and Tinkerado to win. All right, thanks for the call, Mike. I'll tell you what, I'm going to put a poll up on on my Twitter, and SEO will yeah. tweet it out as well. Should John Boehner and the GOP be suing President Obama? Again, we'll both tweet that poll. Go vote. Um, the question, the answers are, yes, the president must respect the Constitution and separation of powers, or no, it's a waste of time, or Third, well, the president needs to be restricted, but this could backfire on the GOP. Oh, That's that what I'll is, be voting. But that is exactly the way we've been phrasing this yep. debate. That's amazing. Our good friend Michael Pelka just put this poll together for us. Um, oh, that's perfect. I mean, that's exactly what I'd like to know. Like yeah. I said in the beginning, I know how you think. I know how I think. I'd love to know how everyone else thinks about this. So that's great. Go on. Yeah. Go online. We're, we're both going to tweet it. You can let us know, and then maybe we can talk about it again. All right. Uh, now, secondly, can we, should we, and more importantly, can we create a world that's free of uh, sharp corners? Can we bumper every dangerous and offensive aspect to society? Yeah, Eric. I can take my coffee table out of my room, but you know what? I've got a dresser in there. I've got I've got a, a smaller table. <laughs> Eric in Texas. You know, well, actually, by the way, congratulations, Jesse. Oh, um, thanks. You're welcome. I, I, in sitting here listening to the two of you, I, I was going to say, you know, Essie, uh, forget about the bumpers. Um, your, uh, your initial instincts were right when you began to, you started to say, I think at least, that you were just not going to go that route. And yes. Of course, Will had to inject himself and say, no, 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 you will. Yes. And, think, and Will, Will, Will parent shamed me. <laughs> will parent <laughs> shamed me into thinking, okay, now I need to bumper my coffee. And table. what do you mean, Will had to inject himself? I have a microphone. <laughs> You're right. You're no, right, no, Actually, no. Eric, Eric, do not be cowed by Will. He did feel the need to inject himself into my parenting decision. But that well, is what it's Kane and Cup. But Will th- Will thinks he's the greatest parent that ever lived. He invented parenting, and so if I'm making a, par- a parental decision, well, he will have an opinion on it. The question is: Is can we put we, if we could get a, a time machine and go put bumpers around the Constitution, oh. uh, or before Obama got into office? Now oh. that's where we should. Wow, Eric, that was eloquent. Thank you. You just uh, did what we, I mean, you, you just, you wrapped everything up and took it full circle. Put bumpers around the Constitution <laughs> so that before Obama, that was eloquent. I love that. But Eric, I'm not yeah. wrong on the coffee table, right? Ugh. You're not wrong. Oh. Come uh, on, uh, Eric. Actually, but I say that, Will, because I think what you're saying, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think what you're saying is, she's going to, once she sees this beautiful little child, she's going to want to put bumpers on everything. But that's you're insane. Texan, you're you're a Texan and a man, Will, who also understands that you got to take the bumpers off. Uh, and I, I, that's at least what I did. I wanted to put them on and I felt, you know, I felt like maybe I should. But I think that that does a disservice to kids. That's All right. a different subject. I love uh, Eric. Here's what I think, Eric. Honestly, um, you and I are not we're not in disagreement on the philosophy and on the overall analogy you're drawing. But. But specifically first- on the coffee table, uh, I think when the, the kid is learning to walk, we're not talking about one here that needs to learn the lessons of the world, but we're actually the one with yeah. the soft little skull who's attempting to trip over himself as he's walk. You will bumper the coffee table, and that's did, not wrong. Did, did your child have a did – you, did you put a helmet on your child? Yeah, well, I don't want to get you? too personal, uh, but I just told us, see, look, I, this, this is a hard transition. Look, man, I, I mean – 
I took the hard love approach, and we did pay some prices. We've had some long hospital stays. So (laughs) I promise you we did not bumper everything. I'm just saying society you cannot bumper. For your little two-year-old, you might bumper the coffee table. You know, I mean, like I said, we're baby-proofing. I'm not taking this lightly. But life has hard edges. Life has hard edges. And you know what, Eric? Your first instinct was to tell Will to keep his opinion to himself <laughs> and that I was right. And I I, I, I respect your first instinct, Eric. Eric. Hey, I got a microphone waiting for you when you make your way up here to New York. You can have mine. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Thank you. Uh, Look, I'm going to take parent I I'm going to take parenting advice, whether I like it or not from you. Um and and you're right. I mean, I have all of these preconceived notions about how I'm going to handle this and you don't know until that baby is there, right? Right? That's right. Your world will change. Yeah, I I'm, I'm I talk like a hard liner, a hard liner now. Um but you know, I I also came upon sleep training. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of sleep training? Of, of course, course you have. You're a parent. Um, this idea this. that you set you set a time early on, a 12-hour window. Say you pick a 12-hour window from like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. that you like the child to be sleeping, the, the, the newborn infant to be sleeping. Mm-hmm. And essentially, you shut the door and don't open it. Oh, until, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this sounds awesome to me. You know me. Ferberizing, right? I, I know. It's Ferberizing, but specifically just for sleep. Yeah. Cry out, um, buddy. Sorry, man. It sounds amazing. And yeah. as a hardliner, this is very appealing to me. But I've been told... That will be very difficult to do once I am confronted with this beautiful child. Let's just say this. It's easier to say you should toughen up your child than me to toughen up my child. Right, right, right. But all all of these hardline things really appeal to me. I don't know if I'll have the courage to go through with them. All right, let's take a break. Um, When we come back, you know, it's interesting. um, One of the biggest problems with being a progressive or a liberal would be all the inherent contradictions you have to deal with in the world. And when it comes to gun control, those contradictions Mm. are actually starting to be realized in places like Colorado. It's a beautiful thing. And New York. They're having to come to grips with reality. Oh, this doesn't quite make sense. Let's talk about that on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. I will not put bumpers around the hard edges of life. Okay, all right. I refuse to be cowed. Let it go. Let it go. No, I. uh, I feel strongly about this, but I like I like all the feedback. Um, One of the reasons I will not put bumpers around the hard edges to protect my child from the hard edges of life is because. Um, it's tough out there. It's a dangerous world. And one of the reasons that I am a gun owner and I fight for gun rights is because it's a dangerous world. And I'd rather not have to call the cops Um, when there's a burglar or a rapist in my house. I'd rather be able to defend myself. And we've talked about this a lot. I talk about this a lot. And... One of the responses, of course, to the dangers of life, the hard hard edges of life, legislatively, is to take guns away, restrict access to guns, uh, and and recently, since since the the tragedy at, at Newtown, 
to restrict magazine capacities. This is a particularly asinine attempt at gun control because restricting magazine capacities is completely arbitrary, totally arbitrary. You can't have more than 10 rounds in a magazine. Okay, I'll buy three magazines. Um, New York's ridiculous law that has since been overturned. Seven, right? Seven. Seven. No no gun manufacturer makes a magazine round holding only seven rounds. The arbitrariness of that number is so fun to project yourself into that debate in the back rooms of New yes. York's legislature hall. Yes. What do you think we should limit these magazines to? I don't know. What do you think? Seven? Six sounds okay. Six, seven six, sounds bad. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Six is egregious. Seven? Six is egregious. Seven? seven? Seven. I think seven's reasonable. Yes. Somebody says, hey, how about eight? No. No, 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 no. Are you, you crazy? you understand the damage you could do with eight? <laughs> God, you don't care about children. Yeah. Um. Ridiculous. Absolutely asinine and ridiculous. But it's, it's, it's not surprising. The people behind gun control... And the most vocal about gun control often know the least about guns. They just don't know. They don't know how they work. They don't know. Um, they don't know how gun owners work. They don't realize that the efficacy of a gun is entirely dependent on the skills of the shooter. So uh, if I'm limited to seven rounds or fifty rounds, it all depends on how many I can get off in a matter of time and and how proficient I am as a gun user. It's all ridiculous. And finally, I mean, we know this is ridiculous, but finally, even the very people behind these laws are realizing this is ridiculous. As I already mentioned, the New York stupid, asinine, dumb gun law restricting magazines to seven rounds has already been overturned in the haste after Newtown for Governor Cuomo to be the first person out with gun legislation. He stuck it full of totally unworkable, unenforceable gun laws. Now Colorado, which was also very quick after Newtown and Aurora, to um, come up with these crazy gun laws. Governor Hickenlooper there, a Democrat, obviously, uh, had some really interesting things to say. He He was at a gathering of sheriffs. And please keep in mind, it's an election year for Governor Hickenlooper. He's up soon. Uh, through a gathering, gathering of sheriffs, he admitted that the anti-gun legislation he passed about a year ago is terrible. In fact, he called it useless. I'm sorry, worthless. Worthless. Uh, the law included outlawing the sale of magazines of more than 10 rounds capacity and a whole host of other things. And he said that he only signed the bill because a member of his staff had made a promise that he would do so. He claimed... They did not check all the facts from the beginning because, quote, no one in our office thought it would get through the legislature. (laughs) That's a whole other issue. And even went so far as to say that the fact that not a single arrest has been made as a result of the law shows how worthless it is. This is a governor admitting, admitting. He signed anti-gun legislation into law because he didn't think it would pass. A. Keep in mind, Colorado is a gun-loving state. Um, thought oh, only did it because a staff member had promised he would. Sorry, Second Amendment. My staff member promised I would do this. <laughs> um, and admitted now in hindsight, worthless law. Now, if you remember back, everyone remembers uh, the two Colorado legislators that were recalled successfully because of this gun law. Sorry, guys. Hickenlooper made a mistake. He now knows it. Sorry, guys. 
Sorry, Colorado State President John Morse and State Senator Angela Geron recalled. Sorry. I debated that John Morse on your program on Crossfire. On that's CNN. right. We had John Morse on You and Crossfire. I together. We debated John Morse. And Sorry, I remember guys. Tell, I remember telling him at the time, what empowers you to pick this arbitrary number on your magazine? Yeah. Well, yeah. you got to pick something. But that's the essence of authoritarianism. You just, I'm uh, just picking numbers out of the air. It, out of I'm, my head. I'm just going to impose this upon you. My head, my capricious will is going to decide this for the rest of you. But does this number make sense? No, but it's don't ask that, me about facts. Is it logical? Don't ask me that. Don't ask me that. It's in my head. It's what I've decided. So let it be written. So it's so sweet when Hick and Looper, and as I've heard, by the way, here in New York as well, when that law actually goes into effect, there will not be a seven-bullet limit on magazines no. in New York. No, there won't be. Sheriffs have decided this is totally unenforceable. Hickenlooper also made the calculation that this is going to kill a lot of jobs because now gun manufacturers, which, look, employ a lot of people, um, and in fact, the gun industry and the gun industry jobs are up, um, you know, are going to have to start making newfangled magazines to accommodate these ridiculous, unenforceable illogical gun laws. Pretty sweet and when they have to come to grips with their own contradictions. It is amazing. I mean, I, I can't believe Hickenlooper framed it this way because essentially he's just saying, I didn't read it. I didn't know what was in it. I didn't think it would pass. I only did it because a staff member promised me to, and now I know it's worthless. You'd think he'd come up with a better explanation, but it's brutally honest. You would hope, by the way, that whatever political gains he hopes to, to get by um, appearing less anti-gun, he will pay the penalty in incompetence. Well, yeah. So your excuse, That's by right. the way, is that you didn't know what you were doing. Yeah. And you were passing laws you didn't think would really go into effect. That essentially limited, limited your constitutional rights. Yeah, we need to bring you back. These aren't like um, you got to mow your lawn twice every week. These are laws passed that totally limited your constitutional rights. Now, an interesting part of this uh, story, remember... Mayor Bloomberg's group, uh, Mayors Against Illegal Guns, uh, helped prop up these two Colorado candidates, Morse and Jerome, um, to try and keep their recall efforts alive, to try and keep them in office. And it's funny, now Hickenlooper is trying to distance himself from Bloomberg. He says that he never spoke to Mayor Bloomberg about the legislation. However... Phone records obtained by the press discovered indeed they had. Oh. oh, sorry, Mayor Bloomberg. Sorry, Colorado legislators who got recalled. Hickenlooper had a political whim. And so all of you are kind of thrown under the bus because of it. It's just amazing the arrogance that propels so much of this gun control legislation. It is total arrogance. Well, on the bright side, the laws aren't going to go into effect. On the downside, you now know exactly how the emperor has new clothes, has no clothes and proposes to rule, has no clothes. Yeah. And so, Colorado, it is incumbent upon you now, upon you now to decide what becomes of your esteemed governor, Hickenlooper, who doesn't read his legislation, passes it, because signs it because he doesn't think it's going to pass, does things because staff members promise to mm-hmm. and comes to realize worthless. Worthless bills. And we'll throw legislators under the bus to do it. You, uh, That's up to you, Colorado. You got any more of those uh, pronunciation quizzes you want to throw at me real quick? What did we oh. do? We did data and GIF, and I got them both right? Well, ish. 
Um, you don't say you don't say GIF right, but the majority of people say GIF, and right. I, I say GIF as well. Um, how would you pronounce M E M E? Meme. You are right. What's the, what people say? Me, meme. No. Yes. <laughs> yes. Will thirty percent pronounce it Mimi? Oh, like your grandma. No joke. That blew my mind. How would you pronounce? How would you say, refer to, um, hashtag? Hashtag. Hashtag, right. That's 41%. But do you know that 30% call it a pound? Oh, really? Pound cane and cup. Really? Pound activism. I kind of like that, actually. Pound, pound bring home our girls. Hey, um, I want to continue this this conversation we've been having about putting bumpers on society and what it takes to be offended. And here's the question: Do I'm you know ten percent of people no, no, call no. it Wiffy? Is Matt Lauer Wiffy? Not Wi-Fi. Wiffy. Quiet. Is Matt Lauer sexist on Kane and Cup? This is Kane and Cup, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Kane and Cup. I'm Will Kane. I'm Essie Cup. You can follow me on Twitter at Will Kane and follow her at Essie Cup. Give us a call, 888-900-3393. Here's a question I want to ask you. Is it sexist to ask a woman, can you be both a great mom and have a great career? Is that a sexist question to propose? 888-900-3393. It's not just simply an hypothetical. This week on the Today Show, Matt Lauer asked the CEO of General Motors, Mary Barra, that exact question. Listen. I want to tread lightly here, but you've heard this. You heard it in Congress and you've heard it in the headlines. You got this job because you are hugely qualified. 30 years in this company, a variety of different jobs. But there are some people who are speculating that you also got this job as a woman and as a mom. Because people within General Motors knew this company was in for a very tough time. And as a woman and a mom, you could prevent a softer face and softer image for this company as it goes through this horrible episode. Does it make sense or does it make you bristle? Well, it's absolutely not true. Um, I, you know, I believe I was selected for this job based on my qualifications, but we dealt with this issue. When the senior leadership of the company knew about this issue, we dealt with it the minute we knew. You're a mom, I mentioned, mm -hmm. two kids. You, you said in an interview not long ago that your mom, that your kids said they're going to hold you accountable for one job, mm -hmm. and that is being a mom. Correct. Given the pressures of this job mm -hmm. at General Motors, can you do both well? You know, I think I can. I have a great team. Uh, we're, we're on the right path. We're doing the right things. We're taking accountability. And uh, also, I have, wonder, I have a wonderful family, a supportive husband, and I'm pretty proud of my kids, the way they're supporting me in this. Can you do both jobs well? That's the question that got Matt Lauer into hot water. Yahoo Autos' Justin Hyde wrote, For the record, all previous GM CEOs that I've known had children. In my 15 years of covering the industry, I can recall only a couple of occasions where they were asked how they balanced their roles of father and executive. It was more often them who brought it up in small talk. 
about what was going on in their lives outside the company. The argument, and it was also made on Think Progress, is you would never ask a man this question. Can you be both a great father and have a great career? Therefore, Matt Lauer, sexist. How you, dare you ask? Well, you would ask a man that question if he were also a stay-at-home dad. If he were, I mean, if 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 he were the main caretaker, and also um, a provider in a big job, you might ask, "Can you can you be um, the main caretaker at home and also CEO of this company?" But you would Mary, ask that. Mary Barra is not a stay-at-home mom. So it wasn't a choice between being a stay-at-home mom or right. being a CEO of no, GM. No, no, no. But the assumption is that the woman is this is the primary caregiver. You mean that should be the assumption? No, it is the assumption. That okay. is the assumption. Yes. Even as a as a working woman, the assumption is not that you've got a stay-at-home dad. The assumption is your your dad's also your husband's also working. You are working, and you are still probably the primary caretaker. Yes. You're still a mom. No one uh, assumes that your duties as a mom are diminished because you are a working woman. So if someone had the same assumption about a man, maybe he's widowed, maybe he's a single father, you would ask that question. Let's say you have a single father who is also the CEO of a company. You would absolutely ask, look, buddy, you've got a lot going on at home. Can you do both of this? Right. But the assumption is never that the man is... The primary caregiver. We have different roles in society. But that's statistically backed odds. up. That's it's, right. It's, it's not an assumption for no reason. That's right. Or because of sexism. It's, a, it's an assumption because it is usually true. So I, I don't think it's unfair to ask. You might, you might want to ask other questions. Like, Mary, um, you know, are you still the primary caregiver at your house? You've got a lot going on. You might want to ask a little bit more about the balance of experience but the assumption is she is still 100 percent a mom at home it's not only not sexist it's not only realist what you're pointing out statistics most likely back this up this assumption yeah but it's complimentary i think so you it's an acknowledgement. are most likely the primary care- caregiver to your children um therefore you've got a lot on your plate you've got dual roles here you've got to be yeah. this important role to your children and you've also got to rehabilitate general motors that question's not sexist. Well, I think it's incredibly complimentary, as you say. A, it acknowledges that being a, a mother and a caregiver is a job in and of itself. Right. An important one. And one that she doesn't take lightly. She's not shirking that responsibility. She hasn't siphoned it off to someone else. It, and two, in a greater societal sense, it's an, an acknowledgement that that is an important role. And one that shouldn't be taken lightly or traded off for a career. And so Matt Lauer is is acknowledging that she's got two tough jobs to do, right. unlike maybe her male counterpart. She's got two tough jobs to do. And two, acknowledging that that second job, being a mom, is equally as important. I, I was not offended by it. I know we're, we we automatically have to ask, is it sexist? Because that's the stupid kind of got to hunt for offenders. Jerk. Got to yeah. hunt for offenders. Yeah, and and victims. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's that's just what we have to do. But I was not offended by it, and it, in 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 fact, it's it's a perfectly acceptable question to ask, either as a CEO or, or a, a, a a boss about a woman. But you'd also ask that, like I said, about a man in a similar situation. 
I think people want to yell sexism at this kind of question because they don't want anybody to question, I think largely, whether or not a woman can do both jobs well. How can you be CEO of GM? That's the assumption people are saying. He's basically questioning her ability to be CEO of GM or in reverse to be an adequate mother. No, but but that's also a compliment. Like, how can you be good at both of these? That sounds really difficult. I agree with you. I'm telling you what I think the hunt for the sexist, sure. the hunt for the offenders, what's behind it. Well, how dare you question that? Yeah, and, you know, this comes up a lot in, in political campaigns when a woman is running because, you know, Sarah Palin, you've got five kids. You just had another one. How can you handle all this and be president? And then the the um, – you know, the response is, well, you'd never ask Mitt Romney, who also has five kids. And it's different. It He's is not different. the primary caregiver. Right. It is different. And and I don't think I, I think I think it's sexist to imply that a woman can't do the same job because she's a mom. I think that's sexist. But it, well, but to ask time to, is a zero sum game. Yes, that's so right. Something in, is going to infinite. be compromised. Right. One of the two jobs, it's assumed, will be compromised. Don't you – look, We everyone listening knows you are about to be a mom. Do you worry about this zero-sum game? How can I give the adequate amount of time to both a career, a very successful career you have, and a new job you will soon have, which well, is being a mom? I know that I cannot. I am fully prepared for the idea that I cannot give the same amount of time that I currently give to my job once I have a baby. That is a calculation I made before I got pregnant. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons it's incredibly important to consider getting pregnant before it happens to you. To actually think about what kind of lifestyle do I want to have. Um, and I did. And I made a calculation that I will have to cut back on certain areas of my professional life. That's, that's a reality I'm okay with. However, I think I can still be good at my job and productive, and committed to my career, and be a mother. Will it take some juggling? Yes. Will it take some some organization, and some discipline, and some time division? And Yes. Will my husband help out? Yes. Also another reason why it's great to be married when you have a child. Another great, you know, another great thing to consider before you get pregnant. Um, because you absolutely need someone else around to help divide up the labor. Um... But but I think being a mother will enhance my professional career. I think it will make me better at my job. Oh, I think so, too. And Give you I, all, I, all kinds of a world's of new perspective. Well, in addition to your perspective, which I won't I've be tried able to be able to escape. I've tried to be here for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm preparing you from this expertise. But. I know. I know. Um, no, but I – look. The reason I'm not, I won't tell – I won't lie and say I'm not worried about it. There's – I'm going to have to make sacrifices – on the professional end. People that, that, that yell sexism at Malar's question haven't reconciled themselves to two realities of the world. These aren't opinions. These are realities of the world. One, time is zero sum. You can only give so much time yeah. in the world to every endeavor. Yeah. That's one. And number two, more often than not, the mother is the primary caregiver. That's Fact. why that question Fact. that's why that question hasn't been asked of male CEOs to the same extent it was to Mary Barra. Reconcile yourself to those two realities before you start yelling offender or sexism. Um let's ask Nona in California quickly. What do you think, Nona? You think it was sexist? I do think it's sexist. Um just because you you have statistics on your side doesn't mean that you can apply it to everyone. Um I'm the mother of ten. 
Wow. Ten. Wow. Wow. I'll tell you something even more amazing. I was a widow with six children when I remarried and had four more. Wow. Nona, what a life. And when I was a widow with six children, uh, actually even before I was widowed, I, I worked... Uh, and and had to have my children watched by someone because right. my husband uh, at that time was on drugs, the Aye. one that died. But uh, I I faced the the sexism of even whether I could uh, be promoted to a manager, which I never was at the time where I was working, because I had so many children. You didn't it, think that that was a fair question to ask of you, well, Nona? It wasn't even it wasn't even a question. It was a statement. Because even though I never mm. missed a day of work because of my children, yeah. um, they said I could. I might have to. I, my children might need that. Well, but see, no, that's, no, that's sexist. The judgment that they made. It's illegal, in fact. It's, yeah, that's right. No, there no, are already protections against that. They didn't ask you a question. They, right. made, they provided an answer for you and made a judgment call. You, the truth is... If somebody asked you that question, what you could have said is, no, I am giving 100% of my energy to this I've job. I've never been late. My record speaks for itself. That's no problem. But what you just described, Nona, is is inarguably sexist, and we have anti-discrimination laws that protect you against that. So asking the question, as I think as we're saying, isn't sexist. Acting on it, acting on an assumption without giving you the chance to explain you know, what you're capable of, I think... Is illegal. We don't even have to call it sexist. We'll give you it's last. Illegal. We'll give you the last word, Nona. We uh, we run out of time. Okay, I, I've been a mother for forty years, and it's been like this the whole time. Wow. All right, Nona. Thanks for the call. Yeah, thanks for calling. We'll in. Take a quick break. We got a lot of calls. We'll get to some of those, um, and we also want to talk about uh, maybe maybe some potential baby names. Oh, I got more advice. Good. Yeah. Okay, great. When we come back on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Cannon Cup. I'm Will Kane. I'm Essie Cup. We are talking about whether or not Matt Lauer asking the head of General Motors whether or not she can be both a great mom and a great CEO of GM was a sexist question. Dave in Illinois, you're on Cannon Cup. Hi, guys. Love Hi. the show. Um, I try to look up to find out how old the kids are. I have no idea. I, I couldn't find it anywhere. And so... I, her kids. The reason I, the CEO of GM's pardon? kids. Pardon? You're talking about the CEO of GM. How old her kids were? Yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. Right. And um, and not that it matters that much. I mean, seven and eight, or sixteen and seventeen, whatever. I don't know. Maybe it does make a little bit of difference. But the woman has worked for thirty years. Yeah. And I mean, she raised kids during all that, and I. I mean, I truly believe that she probably worked harder to get where she is than she's working right now where she is. Uh huh. And and it just it bothers me. So, David, do you think it was a sexist question? Sounds like you do. Oh God, it was totally sexist. It was so so wrong for him to ask that question that Mm. it just bothers me. And I, I, 
you know, she handled it very well. And, yeah. You know, I'm very appreciative of the fact that she didn't go off on some, you know, rant or something. But, uh-huh. uh, yeah, I, I, I think it was totally off base. Huh. Wow, that's two calls. I think that's a sexist question. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the call, Dave. No. I, I don't think it was. Me neither. And I'm not trying to, like, work very hard to be an apologist for Matt Lauer or, like, not see so- – like, I'm not trying to see this through a political lens. I really am not offended by that question. And I really think it, it would have been – I think it. it's even more offensive to assume that a woman is just going to push aside one or the other, uh, you know – um, that if a woman's decided to say stay at home and raise kids, somehow she doesn't care. She has no professional ambitions. Or if a woman is a a, a, a career woman, she doesn't care as much about having kids. Let me That's ask, offensive. Let me ask you a question: Are there such? Is there He's such? He's acknowledging thing, she cares about both. Is there such thing as a great mom and a bad mom? Mm. Uh, yes. Clearly, yes. The state. The state has. Yes. The state would decide. Yes. Here's why people are yelling sexist. Uh, I'm not saying every caller. I'm not saying everybody. But the. The issue is, you're right, clearly she is a successful corporate executive. Clearly she has climbed that ladder. We have no idea about her parenting skills. No, don't know. We only know that that was something she said is very, very important. We don't know if she's a great mom. Perhaps no, she has, has been. But perhaps sacrifices have been made. And therefore, because time is a zero-sum factor, mm-hmm. you have to ask, can you do both? Great. Yeah, right. No, I, 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 again, it's a legitimate question, and the only reason you don't ask it of men is because you make the assumption that a man is not the primary caregiver. And nobody wants to say that's a possibility someone could be a bad mom. That's the bottom line. Yeah, right. But there's hey, such that things. Thing, that yeah. thing, Will, that you use to turn on your television, what do you call that? Remote control. You are in a minority. Most people just call it a remote. 65%. 21% call it a remote control. 5% are like my dad. And they call it a clicker. <laughs> clicker. A <laughs> clicker. <laughs> Is Hillary Clinton rich? When we come back on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to Kane and Cup. I'm Will Kane. That lady over there is Essie Cup. That was sexist. This was the point. That was sexist. That was the point. I'm offended. You should be. Patrick in South Carolina. Was that sexist? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good morning. Why aren't you on my side, Patrick? <laughs> I'm I'm terribly sorry. You know, if if it was a beauty contest, I'd be right there with you. Now that's sexist. Let's talk about that. No, I'm kidding, Patrick. We're we're teaching by example this morning. <laughs> I think it was offensive. I consider myself beautiful. We need to put some you know, bumpers on this whole conversation. I'm not necessarily going to disagree. I'm not going to ruin your morning. Um, <laughs> but really, I think the problem we have here is that you know you have a bunch of leftists who are just without principle. I mean, the only principle they have left is their, you know, adherence to the cult of victimhood. I think it's savagely ironic that the same people who are going to cry foul and cry sexist here because, you know, how dare we question anyone's qualifications as a mother 
are the exact same statists that are totally okay with you know Boston Hospital detaining Justina Pelletier because you know there's quote unquote unfit parents. I mean they're you know they want to extend reach into every area of life now apparently including just someone asking a question and I think it's 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 really pretty sick. Is that are you parenting right now? Do I hear a child in the background? Yeah, I hear kids. <laughs> you, yeah, you hear my four and a half and my two and a half year old. Uh, Do you also that. work, Patrick? Actually, right now I'm Mr. Mom. Aww, um, like you just heard collective women across the country going, aww. Well, I, you know, I mean, I, it, it definitely gives you an appreciation for how difficult the job is. I only have two, and my mom did it with five of us. So exactly, aww. it's complimentary to recognize how difficult that job is, and not everybody does it well. And it's and not. Let me, s- let me tell you, I've asked the same question of a man, uh, a guy, mm. Steve Cannon, is the CEO of uh, Mercedes Benz USA. Okay. He's a West Pointer. He has nine children. Wow. And he easily works a 14-hour day. And when he says nine, the first thing you say to him, okay, you realize he's a CEO. He's not the primary caregiver. But the first thing you say is, my God, man, how do you do it? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, it is, it is amazing. Uh, first of all, anyone who achieves the kind of success that one must achieve to become the CEO of a major corporation is doing something right. And that's amazing. And to acknowledge, wow, you, how do you do that and be a parent? I mean, I think that's just right. an acknowledgement of how amazing you must be. And I really like the line, Patrick, the adherence to the cult of victimhood. That's, mm. I, th- I think that is the guiding principle. Appreciate mm-hmm. the call, man. Um, speaking of uh, potential proclamations of sexism, sexism yeah. Hillary Clinton. Oh. It's a topic of conversation this week. How Hillary Clinton made her money That's over the, the past sev- question. over the last several weeks has certainly been a topic of conversation about whether or not she has money and how hard she had it. Right? She doubled <laughs> down on first of all, what was the original thing that dead broke? Dead broke. Why do you why 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 did you need to take millions and millions and millions from Wall Street firms like Goldman Sachs because we were dead broke and we needed houses? Yeah, right. Then she doubled down on that. Yep. and said we're not truly well off. Not truly well off. In fact, uh, and and some of her defenders have said, you know, if you go back to that Guardian article where she, the Guardian interview where she says we weren't truly well off, um, she said other things that really exonerate her. So I went back to the um, full transcript of the Guardian article that was not originally released. Uh, No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. In no way does it exonerate her. In fact, I think it might be a little worse. You know, in that article, she says, anyone who's questioning my record of helping the middle class should go back to my record in college and law school. First of all, no one has a record of anything in college or law school, except your grades. You That's offering it. your grades? That's it. Two, really, we should go back to your record at Wellesley and Yale to see about how you defended the middle, how you lived among the people at Wellesley and Yale. Really, Hillary? You know, the issue is going to be hypocrisy. Hypocrisy has been called to the mat. First of all, the left is going to scream, um, how dare you question Hillary's wealth? You just nominated Mitt Romney as your potential president of the United States. And you, by the way, the left will say to the right, anytime someone questioned Mitt Romney's wealth, you said, how dare you question a successful human being? Mm. And then the right, by the way, is also going to yell at Hillary, you did all these things with Mitt Romney. And mm-hmm. now you mm-hmm. nominate somebody who's worth $100 million. By the way, yeah. that's what Bill and Hillary are worth. $100 million. But the hypocrisy calls are beside the point because the question is how you make your money. And Hillary Clinton has made her money being Hillary Clinton. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Off her last name. Same thing for Bill, by the way. He made his money giving speeches being Bill Clinton. Well, yeah, they didn't build anything. They didn't build anything. Right. But you know what's, I think what you're saying is. That's perfectly legitimate how, to point out in question. How Hillary made her money is the problem for Hillary. When interestingly, Democrats, I'm finding, the new defense for Democrats of Hillary is, well, it's different than going after Mitt Romney because of how Mitt Romney made his money. I agree. It is different. But you're saying it's worse. They're saying it's better. In fact, Paul Begala, a colleague of mine at CNN, and a great guy. I mean, I love Paul. Paul Begala had what I think is a shocking column on CNN.com this week where he says, he explains why. Why we should treat Hillary's wealth as totally different from Mitt Romney's wealth. I will treat it differently. Yes, but not for the same reasons that Paul will. (laughs) Paul writes, as an advisor to the super PAC that hammered Mitt Romney's business record, let me explain why Clinton's case is different. The issue was never how much money Romney had. It was how he made that money, which you you agree with, Will. Yes. But this, this you will not agree with. He writes, when you amass a mega fortune in part by taking over companies, loading them with debt, plunging them into bankruptcy while paying yourself millions, well, folks don't like that. Yeah, well, folks, that's not what happened. And when Romney combined that Gordon Gecko image, first of all, Mormon philanthropist Mitt Romney could not be farther from having a Gordon Gecko image. I think he would have benefited from being as cool and confident as Gordon Gecko. Paul's pointing that out aside. the way the left attempted to paint Mitt Romney. Yes, right, right. And when Romney combined that Gordon Gecko image with an agenda that included cutting taxes for the rich and making Medicare a voucher program, voters got the sense that he was not on their side. Okay. And then Hillary, on the other hand, what? Right. Right. So he is making the exact same, the exact opposite argument you are based on the same parameters. Mm-hmm. That how these two people made their money is the distinction. But what does he say is laudable about how Hillary made her money? Well, he's saying that Hillary's record is supporting the fact that, she, yes, she made a ton of money, but it doesn't matter because she didn't make it by taking over companies, loading them with debt, plunging them into bankruptcy, and paying yourself money. And she made it fighting for the poor. She made it fighting for the poor, Paul would, uh, Paul, Paul would right. say. Well, here's, Paul and I agree on one thing. I never met Paul. We've emailed A Common Love of Lonesome Dove as the greatest piece of film perhaps ever made, at least a top oh, fiver. okay. Apropos yeah, of nothing. Both big fans. Good to know. Yeah. Um, Paul's a Texan. Paul's a good guy. It is totally less honorable to make your name, make your money off of your name. It is totally less honorable to make $100 million giving $200,000 speeches at a time than to be in private equity, building businesses, creating companies, creating jobs. Did some of them go poorly? I'm sure they did. Thus is the nature of a capitalist economy. Mm -hmm. Some wins, some losses. Yeah. It is totally more honorable. To make your money the way Mitt Romney did than the way Hillary Clinton had. Well, I'm just telling you to get used to this. Get ready for it because this will be the line. I'm already seeing Democrats coalesce around this argument. How Mitt Romney made his money is why it's okay for us to have gone after him for being a wealthy plutocrat. And okay at the same time for us to defend Hillary Clinton's wealth. All right, real quickly, Tom in Virginia. We just got about a minute, but uh, what do you think, Tom? Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Uh, I'm actually a you know, columnist for National Review, and I've written a couple of pieces on this. And, is this Tom Rogan? I, 
It is. How are you, Essie? Hello, Tom. We've tweeted a bunch and, and um, you have. Yeah, talked great, a bunch, but nice to, to finally um, sort of meet you on the phone. Yeah, well, a great discussion. And, and I just wanted to jump in, really. I mean, I completely agree. But this idea, though, the, the, the notion that somehow Hillary Clinton, because she's a liberal, has ownership over social mobility, over the interests of poor Americans, mm-hmm. I think is so grossly hypocritical and actually an opportunity for conservatives because I think it's very hard for people to sell the, 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 the spin that Hillary Clinton is trying to sell in the sense that she's you know, making speeches and making money off the name. You know, Mitt Romney, yes, some companies, because of his business deals, went out of business, but many more jobs were created. Right. And if you believe in capitalism, the nature of the American economy, the success, the, what has made America the world's only so, superpower, it manifestly is hard choices and making productivity out of businesses where you can. That's what he did. Hillary Clinton has not done that. And, you know, the Tom she wrote a book called Hard Choices. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, it, it's just it's it's a uh, it, it's pretty laughable. But I think it actually provides an opportunity because I think you see now with the backtracking, even Clinton is all that aware that the uh, the PR of this is, is, is untenable. All right, Tom, man, we yeah. appreciate you giving a call. By the way, you're welcome to call in and have a longer conversation with us. We'll have an English accent, uh, accent uh, battle between you and Charles Cook one day. How does that sound? <laughs> American as well, so I, I'm, I have the, both, the best of both worlds. All right, thanks for calling in, Tom. Thanks, Tom. All right, when we come back, let's get to this conversation about baby names. S.E.'s got to choose soon. <laughs> Kane and Cup. Will Kane and S.E. Cup. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to Kane and Cup. Sorry. Don't we even get a, me started. We have a debate, an off-air debate. It's bleeding onto the air. I just told SC, my son, my six-year-old son's favorite song, he knows every word. Shooting bullets at the moon, truck jacked up, because this is where the party's at. This, this is, is how, how we roll. roll. Oh. Yeah. Um, my son can sing it all. I'm offended by all this. All of it. Naturally. I'm offended by everything. I love, I love country. I like popular country. I like Luke Bryant. Huge dork in the studio. I hate this song. It is so bad. It is pure pablum. It's so bad, it's good. No, and it's going to be the new cruise. It's going to be the new summer song. This is how we roll. I resent Florida Georgia Line for bringing Luke Bryant into this. Who I agree. If you watch this is video, a total dork. You know what else in this video? You've got to see this video. The this is how we roll video. All the hand signs they do, their dancing maneuvers. By the yes. way, the second yes. guy in Florida Georgia Line, what's his job? Oh, I don't know. He yeah, the, like the yeah. the young cute guy who right? doesn't do much singing, nothing, or play an instrument. His job is to do hand signals in the vi- music video, from what I can tell, and wear tight t-shirts to do like a hand, fist tight pump. t-shirts. You got to wipe the table. My son, yeah, 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 yeah. And and Luke Bryant does these terrible hip maneuvers. He can't dance, first of all. Dude should not try, and he should not wear tight pants. Um, cuss on them Mondays. You know what? Pray he's, on them he's got a good voice. Just <laughs> sing it. Just sing it, Luke. And and that's enough. The 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 dorky white guy dancing with the white guy overbite and the tight pants and the hip rolling not working. My it's not working. My six year old can do it all. Wow. All right, that was an unscheduled conversation. What I want to talk <laughs> about is this: you're about to have a baby. Oh, I am. Yes. You mm-hmm. got to name that thing. 
And I've got I, some I advice for you. I have to name that thing. Believe it or not, I've got some <laughs> advice for you. Oh, good. Oh, good. Now, this is what's interesting about this. I really love this conversation because everyone thinks they have the most unique baby name mm-hmm. that, well, there are some that go with classics. And I, I go in the familial trend. I, if, if it was a father, a grandfather, that's yeah. kind of the path I choose to follow. Yep. Um, but many people adopt, I want that unique, one-of-a-kind name, and we don't. We move in herds. Mm-hmm. We move. We, we move in trends. We move in groups. We are herd animals. No matter how much we think we're at the front end, we end up We're in not packs. all that creative. <laughs> right. This is 538. 538 did a an, an very interesting article on names and how you can discern someone's age by their name. Because, oh. again, we move like in generational herds. Just, for example, the name Anna. There's a chart here that shows the name Anna spread out over time how it was incredibly popular in the early 1900s, waned in the mid-1900s, back popular again now. Huh. Um, I know some Annas. Yeah, it's a popular name now. Right. Huh. So, for example, these are the oldest, um, these are the oldest names out there. These are the uh, uh, of of men of male names. All right. Okay. You just don't run into many of these guys unless they're like uh, you know seventy, eighty years old. Okay. Elmer. Elmer. Willard. Willard. Harold. Harold. Harvey. <laughs> Eugene. <laughs> Clyde. <laughs> these guys aren't Those around. Those are amazing they're, they're... names. Those right, are now, really old timey. Now here's your young names. Okay. Liam. Jaden. Aiden. Mason. Landon. These people have ages ranging around seven years old. Wow. Wow. But. Elmer. You want me to do the same thing, by the way, for females? Youngest, Youngest female names. These are about five-year-old girls. If you meet an Ava, an Isabella, a Lily, a Sophia, a Mia, a Chloe. Those are young names. Yeah. Here are your old names. Okay. Gertrude. Gertrude. Mildred. Opal. Beulah. Oh, my gosh. Florence. Mabel. Agnes. Yeah, you don't hear those names now. If you hear those names, she's probably 80. (laughs) She's probably a time fighter. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the trick. As I said. But we go back to the old names eventually, right? You move. We move in herds. You think that I'm going to get this unique name, and it turns out that everybody else around around you named your daughter Jennifer as well. Right, right, right. So what you do to get on the front end of a trend trend, is you got to look at those old people names. You're going to have to name that boy Elmer. If you want to be trendy. So here I have for you. Elmer. I love it. The deadest names. Meaning what? Is, what? The deadest names. What not do, only are these names old. What does deadest mean? The, not only are there not old people running around with these names, nobody's running around with these names. Okay. So if you jump on it, you'll be unique. Oh, okay. As I said, Elmer is one of the deadest, deadest names Deadest, yeah. Clarence. Clarence. Harry. Oh, I know a lot of little Harrys. Chester. Herman. Claude. Claude? <laughs> Claude? And Fred, which I like. Fred, that's A classic cute. name. Freddie. I like Freddie. Now, the deadest women's names. Mm. Viola. Oh. Ethel. Minnie. Minnie. Pearl. Pearl. Bessie. Wow. Blanche. That's my grandma's name. Which one? Blanche. Yeah? Yeah, she's 93. Blanche. If you go down that path, you will be at least at the front end of a trend. And maybe, well, I'm not a trendsetter. Maybe a one of a kind. I've never been a trendsetter. Um, nor do I consider myself all that creative. We're, we're going to go with a family name, um, which I always think is nice because regardless of the trends, there's still meaning behind it. And you don't really have to explain to anyone how you came up with that. It's a family name. It's a family name. 
End of story. End of conversation. Family. Yeah, I've so I'm, uh, my two sons' names. One is Charlie. Cute. And my grandfather, my father, I have all been Charles's. Yeah, people don't know that. Your first name is Charles. That's right. Sometimes I call you Charles just to be annoying. So we went, clearly classic, by the way, there. And by the way, this, this 538 article also has names that uh, span the widest. So in other words, stick around. Defy oh, the trends. Oh, what are those? What are those? I'm scrolling. I can't find it right now. Oh. But Charlie, Charles is one of those. My second son's name is West. Now you're like, oh mm-hmm. boy, went trendy on that one, didn't Aren't you? Aren't you creative and went cool? On. Yeah. No, no, same thing. My wife's grandfather, father, great grandfather, all named West. Cool. Pioneers of West Texas. You know, lived my... in a dugout underground in oh. Lubbock, Texas. No trees. You got to dig in the ground. Wow. Yeah. You know, my dad's mom's name is Mabel. It's a great name. Isn't that a great name? Great name. I know. Uh, we're not having a girl, but um, I love that name, Mabel. If maybe if I were having a girl, I might bring Mabel back. You should. Mabel. I like Pearl, too, by the way. Yeah, Pearl's nice. Um, <laughs> you Pearl, don't sound convinced. No, Pearl reminds me. What did I read? Pearl. Oh, uh, Scarlet Letter. Reminds me of the Scarlet Letter. Pearl was the the spawn of sin created by um, wow. the, the pastor. Okay, maybe don't go with Pearl. Yeah, I don't know about <laughs> Pearl. But uh, I really like Mabel. So, well, someone listening out there, if you're having a, if you're having a baby girl, consider Mabel. Yeah. Mabel grew up in Kentucky. Mabel's good people. My daddy's good people. Here's your here's your names with the widest age spread, meaning there are old guys, young guys with these names. Charlie, as I said, Marshall, Calvin. Marshall? What? Mm-hmm. Everett. Everett? Mm-hmm. What? Jack. Leo. Jack's a good name. Jack's a yep. good name. Women, same thing. Widest age spread, meaning that young women and old women share this name. Lucy. Ruby. Genevieve. Lillian. And Stella. Nice. I actually know a, a three-year-old Stella. She's adorable. So there you go. There's some suggestions for you. Well, thanks. Uh, keep the parenting advice coming. I know you will. At the beginning of our show, two and a half hours ago, you teased forced vasectomies. Yeah, that's a big matzo ball I threw out there. Yeah, we're going to do that next Good. on Candy Cup. You are listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, welcome back. And I'm okay. Wow, you sound enthused. No, I, 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 I'm taking a reverent tone because what we're about to talk about is difficult for some men. Oh. It's difficult. It's difficult to hear. We're going to talk about vasectomies. <laughs> Ouch. 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 Uh, we're going to talk about it because it actually was the center of a plea deal offered to a uh, convicted criminal who was arrested and charged with um, child endangerment, hit and run, driving with a suspended license because he got into an accident, a car accident, and his three-year-old son was in the car. Uh, his son was not injured. 
Seriously. Um, and the judge offered a plea deal on the charges and said, okay, you can go to jail for less time if you get a vasectomy. Why? Because Jesse Lee Harold, the guy at the center of this, has, I'm quoting, seven or eight children by as many different women. Seven or eight, the judge didn't know. Seven or eight by as many different women. So essentially, the charges here, hit and run, driving with a suspended license. He got in a car accident. He got in a car accident with his kid, which um, could happen to anyone. But uh, it doesn't sound like Jesse's the smartest guy or the best parent. He's He's got an extensive rap sheet. Not his first brush in with the law. But because he has a number of kids, and not by the same woman, the judge, a woman, by the way, thought best to offer a vasectomy as part of this plea deal. Seems total non sequitur to his yes, crime. to his crime. Correct. So to stop Jesse from getting in future car accidents. He should have stopped having children. He should stop having children. Um, yeah, so obviously people wow, have a lot creepy. to say about this. Because on the one hand, I'm I'm offended, naturally. I'm offended. <laughs> right. I'm offended easily. But I'm offended by a guy who um, probably, and I don't know Jesse personally, but from the sound of it, probably um, isn't the greatest caretaker in the world, just by looking at his rap sheet. Um, but I'm also offended by the judge's taking it upon herself to uh, offer a moral opinion on his parenting and bring the state into his home, essentially, and his child-rearing personal life. This, I'm pretty sure, is eugenics. I'm pretty sure this forced sterilization debate was decided. Um, if not at the beginning of the nineteen of the twentieth century, somewhere in the middle, uh, Germany, for example, nineteen forties ish, yeah. Uh, so it's just frightening. It's absolutely frightening. Now I want to be clear: she didn't force him to get a vasectomy. She offered it in a plea deal. He took it. But even putting that on the table is, I think, a the state making a moral directive on your parenting i don't want to take anything for granted i know many of our listeners know intimately what eugenics is um sure it was a movement social engineering that predated world war ii predated the nazis and was actually something debated openly here in the united states in the early 1900s and that was whether or not we could have forced sterilization yeah 1920s abortion Mm -hmm. for people who were deemed essentially undesirable yeah yeah, whether or not – it wasn't just limited to those who had mental incapacities, I see. I mean, the debate was whether or not criminals, as you've talked about in this situation, essentially. Minorities. And essentially focused on minorities and definitely the poor. They had to debate openly about whether or not the poor should be restricted from having children. Thus, the argument in eugenics was you breed out the next generation of undesirables. That's the debate we had openly in this country in the early 1900s, which is just – Astounding to It believe. is astounding. Yeah, in 1920 is the famous uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes case where he essentially argued in defense of the Supreme Court, in defense of forced sterilization, 
against a woman who was having children. She was in an insane asylum at the time. And he basically said three generations of degenerates, essentially, are too many. It's a crazy argument today to think about, but it was not solved then. Um, in fact, I believe some states, and I, I'm not going on the record as 100% um, positive on this, but I believe there are incidences, I feel like I read out of Virginia, where up into the early 1960s, there was still yeah. forced sterilization for people who were deemed either insane or mentally incapacitated yeah. in some fashion. No, it's true. Uh, funny um, that Oliver Wendell Holmes Listeners can correct me on Twitter was Virginia. I'm wrong. Okay. Yeah. This also, this this new case is Virginia. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is what you so look, this situation you just described for us. It is not a stretch to call that eugenics because what you have done here is you've you have targeted someone who is a criminal in some way or undesirable according to the judge or mm-hmm. who is living outside of what this judge deems acceptable behavior and standards and yeah. imposed a punishment by by the way, not tied to the crime. Mm-hmm. Not tied to the crime. To force him from stopping procreation. Yeah, and what I don't understand is, like, if he had one child, well, that's okay. But because he has seven, that's too many? Do you know what I mean? Like, his criminal behavior is okay if he had one or two kids, but his criminal behavior is not okay if he has seven or eight? That makes no sense. Right. If you're a criminal and a bad parent, well, maybe let's stop giving him federal assistance and also... Maybe let's take his kids away, which is which is something that the state does have the power to do, and the state does that. But instead, you're going to decide he can't have any more kids? That's crazy. It is crazy. And he took it. Of course he did. He got less jail time. This was also on, um, I think this was on Oprah recently, hmm. where a lady had uh, championed this cause of women who have had um, multiple babies while being drug abusers, hmm. having those women had their children removed from them clearly sure. and then having them sterilized as well. And she ultimately came to regret that she had championed this movement for, mm-hmm. for some time. It, it deprives people, by the way, of their ability to rehabilitate themselves. And That's then true. be full biological and sociological members of society. It is a fundamental human right to be able to procreate. I, I just, I can't imagine... The ethical rationale behind thinking that this is okay, that this judge, this woman judge, and I think it's important to note that it's a woman, thought that it was her business to comment on how many kids he had and how he had them. And to tie that to a driving offense. And granted, his kid was in the car. Like I said, his kid was not seriously injured, but his kid was in the car. I I, I mean, I understand you want to protect the children. The way to do it is not by a vasectomy. It's not by telling this guy you can't have any more kids. That's not your job. That's not your right. Mm-hmm. That's not the state's business. I think it sets a, a really terrible precedent, and I'm glad there was a backlash against it. I hope I hope we don't start seeing more of this. You know, uh, you made that sound. You said a vasectomy. You go, <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's, a, it's, it's an <laughs> abstraction to me. I don't. I haven't, had, I haven't had a vasectomy, and I don't. I mean, you like, don't have a reaction to the idea of uh, a vasectomy. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if my friends have had them either. I have to ask about that. Do you have to ask? You don't have to ask. Oh, I ask everything. <laughs> I want to know. You need to know. Will Kane needs Curious to know. Curious George. 
Um, all right, here's the question I want to ask you. When the team that you have a vested interest in, most of our cases here, the U.S. of A., stops being a competitor in the World Cup, loses, who do you root for next? After your favorite team, after your country is out, who do you root for? I think it, I think it actually leads to some very interesting questions about who people identify with, who they root for, who they cheer against. And we have some data that suggests how people make these choices when we come back on Kane and Cup. This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Part of the next generation of talk radio, Kane and Cup is on. I just tweeted out the question. After your country is eliminated from the World Cup, who do you root for? Once the good old US of A is gone, who do you root for? Who is your second choice? Now, the answer, the obvious joke is I turn off the television for oh. nobody. I stop paying attention. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the truth for me. Um, Have you been following the World Cup? I watch the USA games. Yeah, and actually, I watch some of the other games because they're on at work usually. And I'll you have up. not talked kindly about soccer before this. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm still a sports fan. It's just a low, oh. low-rated sport okay. for me. People um, are getting into it. But I think this question is fascinating. I really do because, it, it, you know, how do people pick between two teams they have no vested interest in, right? You're watching uh, Sweden versus uh, Algeria. Who do you root for? Sweden. Why? Because uh, they're democratic. Oh, form of governance impacts yeah. you. Sure, of course. Um, you're rooting versus. I'm not, rating, I'm not rooting for a country that harbors terrorists. Sweden versus Italy. Oh, well, I'm Italian, so Italy. See, okay, I so usually root for heritage. Italy in the World Cup. So you've gone with form of governance. Now you have relied on heritage. Sure. Um, Sweden versus England. Hmm. That's a tough one. They both have terrible food. <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't know how to make that call. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't watch. Do you go back to history and say, oh, the English, you know, we had to fight them for our revolution. Do you look at current allies? Do you look at form of government? Mm. Do you look at your own ethnic heritage to pick your second favorite team? What about who has a good-looking team? Yeah, so do you root for Cristiano Ronaldo if you like guys that look like that? He's pretty attractive. Yeah, like in that plastic way. Oh, someone's a little jealous. In that plastic boy band way. Someone's a little jealous. Cristiano Ronaldo is hot. Race? That's an uncomfortable question, but it's true. Uh, data has shown if you take a kid, a young kid, and put him in front of a television with two basketball teams of different races, he will more often than not root for the team that looks like him. Uh-huh, sure. Do you root for the team that looks like you? Hmm. I think it's fascinating and at least interesting questions. Um, for example, by the way, I kind of root for Mexico under the neighbor premise. Hey, they're our neighbor. Oh, okay, like North America. Sure. Yeah, North America. Okay. That so, makes sense. 538, again, Nate Silver's website that processes all forms of data, um, asked a similar question. And the only thing they could rely on was a Pew Global study that asked largely European countries what they think of one another and thus said this would who they'd be most likely uh, to root for or root against. So just, just for example, let's take England. And they included the United States in this as well. And who would the English most likely root for after their country's eliminated? Which it has been. Oh. Um, they would most likely, their second choice 
would be Spain. Huh. Also eliminated. Which means they would root for Germany, which would be their third choice. Now, the English's least favorite team, Russia. They're not not rooting for the Russians. You don't think anything... I mean, it's hard to view this from an American lens because we don't know... We don't follow soccer as much as Europeans do. You don't think any of this is because of like long time soccer rivalries and I mean all of these teams play each other. I think you know, more. the Italian league, the English Premier League, the German League, um, you know, Bayern Munich the, the the players on Bayern Munich play the players on Juventus or on Man U at 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 times in other cups. Well remember in the FA Cup. I mean these these this is pro- there's probably more going into it for the European audience than there would be for the U.S. audience. Yes. Now, remember, we're extrapolating who they'd most likely root for in the World Cup from what these countries think of each other. This is a Pew Global study on what these countries think of each other. So here's an interesting factoid, right? And this was done, by the way, during the, I believe, 2009 recession. The Spanish, for example. Who, which country does Spain look the most favorably upon? Do they like it? For soccer? Like, in general. And oh, then we extrapolate general. soccer. Oh, okay. Yes. Do you want to venture a guest? Uh, what country does Spain like the most? Yes. Not soccer, just in general. Mm-hmm. Mm, Italy. Wrong. Portugal. Wrong. Germany. Germany. Very favorable view of Germans. More favorable, in fact, than the Wait, view they hold this, of Spain. Is this an EU thing? More favorable than they view Spain. Do you think this is like you a, catching me here? a currency thing? The Spanish view the Germans better than they view themselves. Right. But but that's why I'm asking. <laughs> Germany essentially holds the purse strings yeah. in the they, European Union. So the Spanish were down on themselves. Sorry. A little bit. A little They're bit. not doing well, man. Yeah, a little bit. Speaking of the purse strings, yes, I think, because here's the Greek, by the way. This, the Greeks' most hated country is the Germans. Oh, because they didn't give them all their money that they, they want wanted. more money. Yeah. <laughs> and they put strings on that money. That makes sense. Hugely negative view of Germans. I bet. Among I bet. the Greeks. By the way. Angela the, Merkel. <laughs> the Greeks don't like the Americans either. They would be very likely to root against the Americans. Because we were not very kind to them during that whole financial crisis. We said, cut them off. <laughs> by, uh, by contrast, the Greeks like the Russians and the Italians and the Spanish. Oh, the fascists. Got it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so who would you root for? I ask you, you go to Twitter, tweet me at Will Kane, tweet her at SE Cup. Who would you root for after the United States is eliminated? And, Italy. And why? Italia. Italia. I think your own heritage is a, is a clear and compelling reason yeah. to root for another country. Well, yeah. 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 I mean, I just love that people are, are watching soccer. You know, every, every World Cup, I see this. People watch soccer, and I'm like thrilled. I'm like, great, this is good. And it actually doesn't stick. It doesn't. No. It doesn't lead to like a renewed interest in soccer in no. this country or like people following MLS. For 50 or, years. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. All right. I resent the idea that somehow I'm less conservative because I like soccer. You know what? Just you stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us this morning on Canaan Cup. Hey, go uh, go download go download this on demand. Share it with your friends, please. Essie Cup's going to hang out and talk to Chris Salcedo next on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network.